Good morning. Hope y'all are doing okay. Um, Autumn, it's here, just so you know, in case you missed it. Uh, it let us know right away that it was coming. So, uh, actually, autumn or fall is my favorite time of year. I don't know why. I think it's because I get to break out the flannel shirts and you get to be cozy and coffee can be your warm beverage all day. All those kind of things make it a really fun and exciting time for me anyway. Um, if you don't like either of those things, sorry fall is here, but you're going to have to deal with flannel and coffee for a while, I guess. Um, what I would like to do is just recap what we've talked about the last couple weeks. Pastor Dave, or as I like to affectionately refer to him as, P. Diddy, he has, you can do that as well, I think he would enjoy it. Um, he has been walking us through this sermon series, What Jesus Does. He has talked to us about the idea of a debt, that we have a debt, and what that looks like. Also, last week we looked at ransom, and what ransom means in a spiritual sense, in a kind of theological word. Now, today we're going to talk about another word that signifies what Jesus does, but it is a little different. It's, it's nuanced differently than these other two words. Here's what I mean. Debt and ransom have a lot of like theological and um, religious churchy kind of connotation. You know what I mean? Like if I say Jesus ransomed us, all of a sudden you're, you're not thinking about necessarily a person with a bag over their head. You're thinking about, oh, how great, what the great thing Jesus did. He saved me from my sins, right? See what I mean? Well, the, the same is true with debt, the, the idea that I have a spiritual debt. It's a nice churchy way of saying, again, I have a debt that cannot be paid, but then again, I think of Jesus on the cross, right? And the debt that he's paid for me. The word we're going to talk about today actually goes to the other extreme, I think, in our minds. The word is adoption, and very rarely do I hear a lot of Christians talk about how they've been spiritually adopted by God. You know, when we talk about adoption, often we think of like an earthly sense of parents who choose to adopt a child, right? This is, this is typically where our minds go. So the idea that adoption is a religious word, I think for us, most Christians anyway, typically is like, what do you mean? I can get the, the image that God has adopted me as a child in my mind, but I don't think we really think about the significance of what this means for us. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of open up to you worlds that adoption really means some pretty significant things about us. And to be honest, I don't like them, and you're not probably going to like a lot of them either. Um, but I have the unpleasant pleasure of telling you some things this morning uh, that we just need to be open hearts. We need to allow the Spirit to speak to us and talk to Pastor Dave after the service. If you have any problems with anything I'm going to say today, okay? Um, <laughs> late laugh, I love it. Okay, first off, personally, I have tons of experiences with adoption with, throughout my life. The, one of the first experiences I had was I got my, one of my first jobs and my boss, we found out as a staff that he, his oldest son, was adopted. Now, we had no idea that his oldest son was adopted for the longest time. 
it just kind of came out one day, oh yeah, 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 my son, he's, he's adopted. And we were all like, what? We would have never guessed. Sometimes it's obvious, right? They don't look like their parents. You go, kind of go, okay, uh, what's going on here, right? You can kind of tell sometimes when a child does not belong biologically to a parent, right? My wife's family actually just in, ended up adopting six children from Ethiopia. If I met that family, I'd go, okay, what's, what gives, right? I, I can kind of tell. Well, in this situation, I could not. Um, and no one else could, and it was a surprise. The child actually looked like the parents, you know. Um, another example of adoption that I've experienced was my second job. I had a boss. He did not have a child who was adopted, but he himself was adopted. And we, again, I didn't know this for the longest time, right? I just, we went about our daily lives. And it wasn't like anything that necessarily changed about my boss to me. Like, I still saw my boss in the same light, but it is a characteristic of who they are. And so there was this sense of like, oh, all of a sudden, who you are makes a little more sense to me, right? Um, the same job, we had a lot of turnover, and we were looking for an office manager position at this point. We had actually had like three or four before this, and we ended up hiring at the place I worked, we ended up hiring an office manager who was a single woman between 45, I would say, and 50 at the time, who had adopted two young girls. Um, they were not babies. They were young girls, like uh, three and six, probably, three and five, um, from the Ukraine. We ended up hiring her. And so then again, this adoption thing just kept popping up in my life, right? It's just like, I'm not looking for it, but oh, yeah, oh, it's there. Oh, yeah. Um, another example, and this is probably the one that obviously hits most close to home with me. When I was just beginning college, my father and my stepmother were told about this friend of my sister's, plural. So I have like, I have four, I have five sisters, three are stepsisters, one is my biological sister, and then one is the sister I'm talking about now. Well, my two or three of my sisters, step and real sister, see how confusing this gets? Um, I have to keep track of it in my own mind. Um, they came to my parents and told them about a friend of theirs that they knew. Now, they were all about 15 or 16 at this point, okay? Um, so we're all in high school. I've just started college, but I'm living at home doing the JUCO or community college thing, right? Trying to save a little cash. And they, they talked to my parents about this friend of theirs and just how bad off it is at home, okay? Long story short, my parents end up adopting my now sister, my adopted sister, into their home. Um, so, so this adoption theme just keeps popping up for me. Now, personally, my wife and I are actually going through the adoption process ourselves. We've started to go through all the classes, and we've started to look into our options for adopting. Um, and one thing that you need to know about adoption is it varies state by state. If you didn't know that, it's important to what I'm going to tell you next. In Illinois, the adoption process is the same process that you have to go through to foster. So to be a foster parent, 
You have to go through the same process to adopt a child in Illinois, okay? I don't know what it is in other states, but I know the Illinois process now. One of the things that we had to do is go through all the foster parenting classes. So going through these classes, we had this instructor. And this is the, I say all that to tell you this, this is the one kernel of wisdom that forever will stick with me from these classes. The instructor's standing there and she says, here's the reality of how this works. The, there is a double standard when it comes to parenting. Here's what I mean. If Jana and I choose to have a child the natural way, she gives birth, we raise the child, there is no one who's going to interfere with how we raise our child beyond some extreme circumstances, right? No one comes to tell us, now you're allowed to do this and you're not allowed to do that prior to having a child. Now, if there's abuse or something like that, obviously then things intervene. But let's just say for the sake of you know, when you and your spouse decide to have a child, no one comes to have a one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one -on -one with you about what you can and cannot do. Okay, so that's the, that's the biological route. That's the natural way to have a child. If you, now flip that, now if Janet and I choose to adopt a child, it's completely unnatural, the process you have to go through. To be a adopt a parent or to be a foster parent, the standard is way up here, okay? Now, I'm not saying that one standard is better or worse in terms of like, I'm not making a, a, um, an ethical judgment on parenting standards here. All I am saying is that we have to meet certain criteria that natural birth, the, you know, raising a natural born child does not have to meet. So here's how this works practically. Let's say Janet and I, in a hypothetical situation, um, decided to do foster to adopt, okay? Hypothetical. Um, and not really, we actually are doing that. Uh, <laughs> golly. Um, and the children who would come to us, would, we would have to have a very high parenting standard for them to enter our house, right? So we have to not do certain things to them that would probably actually be permissible for another parent to do, okay? This is the standard we have to meet. However, so those children enter our home. For those children to return back to their natural parents, those parents do not have to come up here. They just have to meet a minimum parenting standard and then those kids return home. See what I mean? See how there's that double standard? Okay, now I'm not making a, again, I'm not making a moral judgment against minimum parenting standard. All I am saying is that there is a difference between the two. Adoption is not natural. And the reality is for us on the spiritual level, which is not the same as fake or fiction, this actually is how it works, God has chosen to go through the high standard of adoption when it comes to us. See, we in the church world have become accustomed to thinking that we're all children of God. You are not a child of God. The Bible is very clear about who God's child is. Sorry, folks, we just don't cut the mustard. In John 3.16, 
one of the most famous Bible verses. It's, it's right there before us. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Okay? Now, I ain't that dude. And you ain't that dude or dudette either. Okay? We, we, we cannot reach the level of Jesus. God has one and only son, and, and that is not us. Practically, this is what this looks like. When we talk about adoption, the adoption of God, I need you to focus in and hone in on three questions. This will help you track today. First question is, if I am adopted, if you are adopted, if we are adopted children, what does that mean about us? Okay, so that's your first question. What does it mean about us? The second question is a subcategory of that. When you get adopted, typically, I can't think of a situation where this isn't true, you're getting adopted from something or someone. So the second question we have to ask is, who is God adopting us from? Follow? What does it mean about us? Who is God adopting us from? And the third question is, when God adopts us, what does it mean about God? Okay, so those are your three questions. You got them? Us, who's he adopting us from, and what does it mean about God? I want to show you a Bible verse. It's from Galatians. And in Galatians, Paul gives us this, this example of how this works. So we're going to answer that first question. What does adoption mean about us? This is what Paul says. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Notice that big capital S. That ain't you. That ain't me. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. You see it? God sent his son to redeem us, to adopt us, to give us sonship. I want you to hone in on that very last word right there, that sonship word, all right? Now, if you type this into a, you know, to like word in your computer, you will get that weird red squiggly line underneath it because it is not an English word. It is a made-up word to try and give us an inclination to what Paul is trying to say here. The actual Greek word, go to the next slide, is huiothesia. Say that with me. Huiothesia. Again, huiothesia. Good. That is what that sonship word means. A few interesting things about this word I want to share with you. The first is, it is a Greek word that Paul uses specifically to describe what God is doing for us. In Roman society, the word actually meant that a Roman could adopt a child and that child would become an heir to their, their stuff. Okay, so you have children. When you die, at least this is how it used to work, your children would receive an inheritance. Now they receive a debt, right? But they used to receive an inheritance. So you... In, in the Roman society, Romans could adopt children and they would, under this legal idea, they would become heirs to what they have, all their property and so forth and so on. The word that gets translated there is sonship. Now, understand that even Bibles that do like this gender neutral language kind of thing, where they, they try not to focus in on like the male dominance and all that kind of stuff, will still translate this sonship. The reason is because it's not daughtership, obviously. It's not son and daughtership. They just do sonship because they're trying to get you into the mind of 
the Roman society and what Paul's saying here. It applies to men and women. It applies to all of us. But in Roman society, property ownership pretty much fell to the male-dominant kind of society that they lived in. Does that make sense? Nodding of heads would be good right now that you're tracking with me. Good. Um, so this quiothesia, translated sonship, applies to all of us. But in a Roman society, it was pretty much a male used term. So if you adopted a daughter, they would not necessarily get this under Roman society. However, it does apply to all of us the way Paul uses it. You can see this in other verses where Paul says there's neither male nor female, Greek nor Jew, yada, yada, yada. That's Yiddish for everything else. Okay. Um, as you track this word quiothesia throughout the New Testament, it occurs only five times. It occurs three times in Romans. It occurs once here in Galatians, and it occurs another time in Ephesians. Now, the reason this is significant to me is because all of those books are written by the same dude, Paul. He's using this term, and every time he uses this term, he uses it in this context, adoption to sonship, and he applies it to all of us. He's very specific on this point, okay? Now, five times, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of words in the Bible. Five doesn't really like go, oh, wow, that's a lot of times. But the fact that he uses it, and he uses it very specifically in certain instances, means that he's really making a point. He uses it selectively, but he uses it nonetheless. There is not, what, what Paul's giving us is he's giving us a picture of what's happening on the heavenly level, I guess, or the spiritual level. What God's doing for us, Paul uses an earthly term. Jesus did this all the time, too, with his parables. He uses an earthly example to make a heavenly or a spiritual example of something, okay? Now, you remember what I said earlier about what does it mean about us? Well, it means that we're heirs. It means that we are inheritors of what God wants to give us. But what it does not mean is that we are children of God. On the... Here, let me... Let me let me answer some of these questions that are going on in your head right now, probably. For instance, what do you mean I'm not a child of God? I can point to, let's say, Psalm 139. God knit me together in my mother's womb. He created me. Well, you know what? My wife knits, and I don't go around calling all those doilies my children. Okay? Let me give you another example. Okay, okay, okay. But what about Jeremiah? Jeremiah goes, and he's walking, and he comes, the prophet, um, not somebody you know, um, but the prophet Jeremiah comes and he sees the potter at the potter's wheel, right? And the potter's working the clay and the potter makes something and then he smashes it down and then he makes something else and he smashes it down and he keeps doing this and all of a sudden God and Jeremiah have this kind of like, oh, I get it. Um, that clay is me and God can do with the same clay whatever he wants. He can make whatever he wants out of that clay. There's nothing special about the clay, we all are in the same predicament. We all are kind of making our ways through life, and there's nothing about us that deems us worthy of God's adoption. Do you understand that? That we have no legal right to it. The only legal right is in the choice of the adopter to adopt, at least in this example, okay? at least in the spiritual realm. It's also true in our earthly lives as well often. I mean, you can probably think of numerous examples of adopted children who 
after being adopted, you could think about what life would have been like without that, right? The second question is, who is God adopting us from? Now, this also speaks to what does adoption mean about us? That's why it's a subcategory. But who is God adopting us from? Well, the Bible actually tells us, and let me just warn you, it's not pretty, okay? Uh, John, 1 John chapter 3, if you could pop that up for us, says this. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. The Bible pretty much tells us that we're devil children. You see it? This is, you got one or the other. There's nothing in the middle. We're the spawn of Satan. I don't like it, you know, like I want to, I want a third, I want something different. Jesus actually enters into this debate too, believe it or not. Uh, let me set up the scenario for you. Jesus is speaking like he often does, and the Pharisees are present. And the Pharisees don't like what Jesus is saying, and they begin, Jesus and the Pharisees, they begin to enter into this first century version of my dad could beat up your dad. Okay, that's what's happening. The Pharisees are like, okay, Jesus, our dad's bigger and better than yours. What are you talking about? Actually, what ends up happening is the Pharisees invoke one of the most pious hymns in the church today to like taunt Jesus. It goes a little like this. <clears throat> Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord, right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot, yada, yada, yada. Remember, that's Yiddish for everything. Okay, so this is what they do basically to Jesus. They go, wait, 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 Jesus, I don't know who you think you are, but we're children of Abraham. This is Jesus' response if you look at John 8, 44. Jesus says, you Pharisees belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, if you're familiar with how the whole um, genealogical ideas work, often you inherit the traits of your parents. So this doesn't look good for the Pharisees, right? But the Pharisees would say, no, 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 we're children of Abraham. That might be true, but for Jesus, that doesn't matter. You're not really, that, what do you mean you're children of Abraham? You're still children of the devil. There is another example where Jesus does this too. In Matthew 23, he says, uh, you Pharisees go across the entire earth to make one convert and you make them twice the child of hell that you are. It ain't pretty for us, folks, because if Jesus says this about the Pharisees, we've got very little claim Another example in the Bible, this whole Abraham idea, the Pharisees like to like that old pious song, Father Abraham, and they once again were making this argument. And the, the text says that the response was, God can raise up children from Abraham out of the stones of the ground if you wanted to. You've got no claim. Folks, we're we're lo we're lost. 
apart from God's adoption. There's a word that we use often in our society today for the younger generation, and by younger generation I mean um, those that we would, we would consider probably um, just younger than me and down. So if you're younger than me, you would fall into this category most likely, at least by most pundits. And it starts with an E, and it's the most commonly referred to word to describe this generation, and the word is entitled. Now, I am not making, once again, I am not making an ethical or moral judgment on the younger generation. Actually, I think society in general has an entitlement issue. And it's often this idea of entitlement that we have on an earthly realm, I think we're applying it to God. God, I'm entitled to what you have. You need to give it to me, right? I'm entitled. Something about me says, no, 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 I deserve it. I should get it. Give it to me, God, because I can look in the Bible and I can see all these things that you've said about me and who I am. No, I'm sorry. It, th- there, there's no sense of entitlement that actually is right when it comes to what God should give us. If you look at the life of Jesus, the actual son of God, by the way, If you look at the life of Jesus, I just don't cut the mustard. There's a third component that I mentioned. Adoption. Who does God adopt us from? He adopts us from the devil. I cannot think of any example of adoption, although there might be some. However, I cannot think of any that results from a good circumstance where someone goes from uh, one situation and it doesn't get better for them. I mean, you think of adoption and you think of things like tragic death of the parents, right? That's not a good thing. You think of abuse or neglect or abandonment. These are the things of adoption. Therefore, when we think of adoption and we think of all these things out of, coming out of tragedy, we should remember that this is the situation that we're in. Without God, we are left in the abusive, neglectful, abandoning, tragic hands of Satan. We're raised in a home that ain't good, to put it in true Bible quotes. It ain't good, okay? If we're, if, if we, without God, we're lost. We just can't do it. We've got no sense of Entitlement doesn't work. We are not entitled to anything that God has that he gives us. Which is why the third question is so important. What does adoption mean about God? It means everything. It, it's not about our blood that makes us children of God. God chooses to adopt us despite all of those things. Despite the fact that our natural father is Satan. According to Genesis chapter 3, where humans decided to go one way and God tries to adopt us out of that. Eve listened to the lies of Satan. Adam really listened to the lies of Satan. And they entered into this downward spiral. And God's trying to bring us up out of that tragedy. He's trying to pull us out. I can remember the adoption of my sister and, and the unfolding of the circumstances that happened there pretty vividly in my head. See, what happened is 
For my sister, my adopted sister to be adopted, that would have never happened without the intervention of siblings. That would have never happened if my other sisters didn't come forward and tell them about this friend they had, right? That's what Jesus does. He stands before God with you at his side and he says, adopt them. This is my brother. This is my sister. You, they, they should be children of God. I love them. I care for them. You are my brother. You are my sister. That's what Jesus says. If you look at Hebrews, this is what Hebrews says. Hebrews says, both the one who makes people holy, that'd be Jesus, and those who are made holy, that'd be us, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. You are Jesus' brother. You are Jesus' sister. Jesus is not your buddy. He's your brother. Jesus comes before God and says, I know their blood is not pure enough. I know they have no entitlement. Take mine instead. That's what Jesus does. Jesus says, my blood is pure. My blood matters. And I'm giving it as a sacrifice so that you can adopt them. They are pure because of the natural born child. Not because there's something that demands worthiness on their own. You remember I said that there are five occurrences of that word, huiothesia? Remember that other one was Ephesians, and it's going to be right here. See what it says. It says, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. God has been on an epic millennial adoption plan for you and I. Rest assured that you are not children of God, but that God has adopted you. You have no entitlement, but God says, I give you everything. You're inheritors of everything. Let's pray. God, you... You're amazing. You are Father of devil children by natural birth. But God, you take us out of that. You make us clean. You look at us and you call us sons and daughters, even though we have no legal right to it beyond the fact that you called us into it, that you come to us, that you sent your son to wrap to wrap his arms around us and call us sisters and brothers and siblings and to welcome us into the family. God, continually show us what it means to be your children. May we, may we not see it as our right, but as our privilege. May we see it as all the wonderful good things about you, that you love us and what that love actually means, that it's, it's unfathomable, God, the things that you've done for us through adoption. And may we remember that, that adoption's really not about us. It's about you and what you do and how you impact our lives.